The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. We've got a great guest for tonight, a first-time guest. Morgan Knudsen will be with us. Morgan is an award-winning paranormal researcher and spiritual teacher. She's also the founder of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings. She's going to talk about all of her experiences as a paranormal investigator, a researcher, and a teacher. And we always like talking about this particular topic. This is kind of our home base, if you will, uh, as it uh, relates to uh, various paranormal topics. So we're right at home talking about this stuff, and we're going to have a great time doing it. So I'm looking forward to that. I noticed that a bunch of folks on our Twitch channel, have um, their, their subscriptions have expired. That tends to be people who have linked their Amazon Prime accounts to the Twitch channel. If you did that, you might want to check it. Just make sure it's still uh, linked because it expires every month. you got to redo it each month, and that way there's no fee for the... Uh, subscription to the Twitch channel, but we've had a bunch uh, drop off, and that's probably the reason. But in addition to that, we've had a tremendous increase in the number of followers there. So thank you for doing that. We um we are going to be using our Twitch channel primarily for our weekend shows as time moves forward. We will do our, I think we'll continue to stream the weekday stuff there, but it really will be our focus on the weekends. We do things that are a little bit less serious on the weekends. So that's a great place for that. And we have a lot of fun with it, of course. Uh, like us on Facebook. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Also my page, JVJ Paranormal is the easiest way to find that. And, of course, if you're listening as a podcast listener, find us on YouTube and or Twitch or both. And uh, they're both, if you just search for JV Johnson on either of those platforms, you will find it fairly easily. Very easy to find. All right, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll bring our guest in. Again, Morgan Knudsen is our guest tonight. We're going to be talking about her paranormal research, her spiritual teachings, and her group, or her, her organization, Entity Seeker Paranormal and Research and Teachings. That's tonight on Beyond Reality. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. Thanks for being with us tonight, whether you're joining us on our Twitch channel, our YouTube channel, live radio broadcast, podcast, uh, where else? We're, we're all over the place. Uh, we appreciate everyone joining us, no matter how you're joining us. Please become part of our online community as well by liking us on Facebook. Tonight, we're going to go back to our roots. We do this every couple weeks or so. We have a guest on that provides some interesting insight and perspective on the paranormal world, particularly the ghost world, the spirit world. And we're doing that again tonight. Morgan Knudsen is our guest tonight. Morgan is an award-winning paranormal researcher a spiritual teacher, founder of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings. And Morgan, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's really great to have you here tonight. It is really great to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. Well, it's it's exciting because, as I mentioned in my opening, anytime we get a chance to talk about this part of the paranormal, the spirit world, ghosts, hauntings, this is our home base. This is our, our, our comfort zone uh, where we feel more comfortable than any conversation. So I'm excited about it. How did you get involved in this kind of work? And where did these ideas come from for you? Well, it's just so interesting because when um, I was really young, I was about nine years old, and I had a, a very interesting uh, encounter that at the time, being only nine, it just 
scared the living crap out of me. Um, but it made me extremely curious as well into to just continue to, to look into what what exactly I did experience. And when I began to look at this stuff through the eyes of curiosity rather than fear, um, it became a real fascination. But it wasn't until about six years into uh, my work and forming uh, Entity Seeker that I found out that my great-great-grandfather had actually founded the first paranormal association in Canada. And I had no idea about that at the time. And what was fascinating for myself and my my, uh, business partner at the time, uh, Stephanie Wirtz, both of us had drifted down the research train um, in a very similar direction to my great-great-grandfather, Albert Durant Watson. So it was, it was very, it's been very interesting for me. Nine years old, that's when this world became, um, I guess, open to you? Yeah, it was it was it was a really bizarre experience. I was living in um, in BC at the time, and uh, we had a we moved into this this fourplex, and the fourplex had just some bizarre activity going on. We had uh, you know people would wake up and they would see indents of of like invisible people basically in their bed. Um, we would see apparitions on the stairs. Um, there was stuff that would, you know, we think would be either stolen or missing and we, you know, it would turn up later. Um, there'd be footsteps we couldn't explain. There'd be all sorts of crazy things. And I finally, what, what frightened me the most was I had encountered an apparition on the main level of this, this fourplex. And as I say, it was, it, at the time it was terrifying because I had no idea what what this was um and so it started at a really young age for me so as this was happening to you as a child what was going on with the adults in your life at that time well it was funny because my 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 grandmother had told my mom very early on because both sides of my family were very very much steeped in in uh uh, paranormal happenings, and uh, my grandmother had been very strict with my parents when I was about four, and said, "Do not let her get involved in the paranormal world because for her, uh, it was a very negative thing, and uh, and she had very negative experiences. So for her, it was it was very much a, a warning, you know, that this this stuff can't be positive, which now we know isn't true at all. Um, but so they were they had kind of kept it away from me, but they were supportive once I started getting into it. Um, both my parents were very much about, uh, you know, education first, and that's kind of the approach they took about it. So I can't think of a better way to motivate a child to do something than for an adult to say, don't let them do this, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of the golden rule, is if you don't want a kid to do something, tell them they can't, and that's when they're going to start doing it. Oh yeah, absolutely right. I mean, and and I think I, I think at the time, this the, the these areas were it, it wasn't a, an era of uh, you know ghost TV shows and things like that. That none right. of that was out there. Right. Uh, so the the documentaries and whatnot that were coming out uh, were were a lot more factual. Um, uh, programs by people like Linda Moulton Howe, um, like sightings uh, and and things like that 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 had. You know, investigators and uh, researchers who I'm now friends with, um, who were who who would present this stuff in a, in a very factual, scientific manner, and I, I think the information back then, even though there was a lot less of it, it was often more credible. 
That's an interesting observation. I'm really uh, interested in hearing more about your thoughts on that. Now, um, I obviously worked with um, with one of the reality TV shows uh, for a great deal of time. And, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings about it, too. But what is your overall, overall impression about those programs, how, what they brought to the business of researching the paranormal? Well, I think there's a number of different programs uh, that, that are out there that fall into various categories. I mean, you've, you've got the programs... Um, similar to the ones that I'm on, like Haunted Hospitals or Paranormal 911, who are, or sightings for that matter, who are are documenting people's experiences. Um, And then, of course, you've got the sort of the ghost hunting um, shows, which are more about the thrill-seeking and stuff like that. And the one thing I have to say about about the the plethora of the shows that are out there is the fact that it, it has brought it to light and made it more of a household subject. I think it's encouraged people to talk about it, um, and and that's been a very good thing. But I think the downside of at least some of the ghost hunting shows um, is the fact that it's it, it, there's a lot of misinformation that has happened, and a lot of people, instead of taking it as something that is more entertainment, they've now taken it as this is what parapsychology is, which is not good for our <laughs> for the field in general because then you know grants aren't given and, and stuff like that because people have a misconception about it. Yeah, that, I think that's the overall consensus to to of people who are in this business in a serious way. Uh, and when I say business, I don't mean from a monetary sense. I mean just from a, a passion sure. sense and an, and an effort sense. But yeah, I think it's 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 moved much of the conversation from maybe the corners of a room to the dining room table or the or the uh, the kitchen table, uh, and these conversations have kind of come out of the shadows, which can't help but improve uh, awareness and our overall effort to get answers. Yeah, and you know, and I think. I, I think people, as long as they are they're viewing this stuff with a uh, investigatory spirit, um, you know that they're they're recognizing of the fact that you know much of this is it has been set up as entertainment and things like that. I think that's the important thing. I, for me, where the line gets drawn is when people start pushing, um, you know the the sort of the ghost hunting format as as factual and that, that that's you know, parapsychological research. And that, to me, is where the line gets blurred because when I'm dealing with clients or I'm teaching, because um, I do a lot of uh, post-secondary work and things like that, uh, there's a lot of, of stereotypes that I end up having to, to break down and break through before I can even start the lesson. Um, so that can be a little bit frustrating. And, and the fact that they are typically highlighting the negative stuff and they miss yeah. this glorious side of, of paranormal research, which is positive and inspirational, and they, they, they tend to miss it. What do you think about people who just like to do it, um, maybe not on a regular basis, but maybe they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go to an event and do a little bit of ghost hunting because they like the thrill of it? Yeah, you know, and I think I, I because think, it is thrilling. I mean, that the this world that we live in is so magical, and I think people need to be able to experience this stuff and and have that exposure to it, I think that's awesome. Um, I, as I say, I think I think my only concern with with stuff like that is is just to make sure that that people are getting educated along the way, yeah. so that they, you know, they are doing it in a safe manner. Um, you know, they they do understand the risks, and not just you know, not just the emotional risks, but also. In, you know the physical risks. Like sure. we we hear of people breaking into buildings and stuff like this, and it's like, no, that that can't be happening. Um, you know, as somebody who's done a lot of those events as a host and as an, uh, uh, an investigator and led people on investigations, you know, I'll have other people who take it very, very seriously come up to me and say, you know, that, that 
the woman over there who said she felt, you know, her hair move or whatever, um, I was standing right next to her and I didn't see anything happen. And you probably should have called that out. And I said, you know what? No. No, these people come here. They want to have an experience. They're paying to have an experience of some kind. I'm not going to ruin it for them. Let them have their experience however they feel it should happen. We talk about the serious stuff in the lectures during the day. Let them have their little experience here. There's no harm in that. No, I agree completely. And and the thing is, is when we you get into to defining experience, we really can't define other people's experience. You know, you can have two people looking at the same color, and they'll turn around, and one will say it's purple, and the other one will say it's blue, right. and neither is wrong. So, you know, when we get into even even the idea of saying, you know, okay, well, this person's saying this, but it didn't happen, we've got to be really careful about that because. Just because somebody's experiencing, you know, one reality doesn't necessarily someone else isn't experiencing a different one. Um, and our perception really is our own, is our truth. You know, whether it's, it's the, the narrative is right or not, um, we've got to be really careful about how we are, are labeling people's experiences, whether it be right, wrong, or otherwise, because we're just often not in their shoes. Yeah, that's a great point. Um so you were kind of introduced to this at nine years old, a lot of activity around you. And uh, at some point along the way, you decided to take a, a, a more serious look at it. A lot of people are curious. Not everybody decides to get go out and try to find some real answers. So tell us a little bit more about how that decision came about. And also give us more information about your great-grandfather. Yeah, sure. So it, it, was, it was interesting because as I kind of went along in life, it was a subject matter that it just absolutely fascinated me because I think it's something we've been taught all our lives just shouldn't happen. And when it does happen, for me, I've always been really big into into education and learning, and I just I really delved into this because I thought I you know I gotta I gotta know I gotta know what's going on. And so as I went along, I ended up meeting um, Stephanie, who formed Entity Seeker uh, with me years later. And uh, the two of us just, we kind of put our childhoods on hold. Uh, you know, we didn't go to the school dances. We weren't doing the, you know, hanging out at malls. We weren't, you know, we weren't doing that stuff. We were, we were usually at her place. Um, and we were going through books and programs and, and doing whatever we could. And we were kind of getting our, our education really early on. And uh, when we knew we had something that was interesting was when we discovered um, a very clear pattern between the people who were experiencing this stuff, the type of activity that they were experiencing, and their emotional state. And when we began to make that correlation, we knew we had something to, to move on, and Entity Seeker kind of was born from that. But my great-great-grandfather, and at that point I had no idea about him, uh, but when we did get a hold of his books, we found that he had basically come to that same conclusion. And uh, so that was really interesting for me. And, and Albert Durant Watson was a, uh, a very noted physician in uh, Ontario, here in Canada. He uh, uh, was a historical figure, um, very well thought of, and he basically put his career on the line because he he got into parapsychology. Um, he had some very interesting seance-type sittings with a fellow by the name of Louis Benjamin. Um, this was the early 1900s. And uh, he really put his career on the line to say, look, there's something to this we got to stop and pay attention. So it, it, was, it was a really interesting correlation. You know, you're, is it one grade or two grades? What did you say? Great-grandfather? Two grades. Two grades. Great, two great, grades. Two, two great, grades. <laughs> Great-great-grandfather. <laughs> he's, uh, you know, he's one of a very uh, select but very important group of 
people, many of them were physicians, um, you know, during their age where they risked career and uh, and status uh, to try to get some answers to some of these questions. And for a long time, there was actually a bit of a marriage between uh, these um, these ideas that would be considered parapsychological and medicine. And they kind of went together for a while until I don't know what happened, but somehow they were they were separated and 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 kind of defined to be at odds with each other, although I don't think they necessarily have to be. No, I don't think they are at all. And I think we're starting to see now within in the medical profession, we're starting to see that kind of meld back together again. Um, but you're right, like right back, you know, dur- even during the, the evolution of the Society of Psychical Research and, and, uh, and organizations like that, um, you know, you even got people like Sigmund Freud who got extremely interested in it, but he wasn't willing to put his toes in too far because right. he, you know, he didn't want to wreck his reputation and whatnot. But his, uh, but Carl Jung, of course, his being almost like an apprentice with him, he went forward full tilt with it. So I mean, it's it's a it was a really interesting time period where like they wanted they wanted to step into it. They weren't sure how far to go, um, but you know you had all these big names like Podmore and Myers and and whatnot who delved right into this. And I mean, they just became the foundation for for parapsychology. Um, but Albert Durant Watson was was one of those people in Canada. And oftentimes, unfortunately, the the Canadian history side of it just kind of gets overlooked. So when you started to do work in this field, did you set out to do that because you were looking for some what we'd call scientific answers to these questions? Or was it more of an effort to help people that had been experiencing some of these things? Uh, Or were you looking for experiences of your own? I think it was all, a little bit of all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Stephanie and I were both absolutely fascinated with uh, with some of the things that we were we were seeing and coming up with. Um, but we, when we began to realize that people had more say and more power in what they were experiencing than what was initially thought, um, that really spurred us on to to start sharing what we had uncovered. And so we started doing these these sort of small lectures here and there, and uh, and and just presenting our findings to to anybody that would listen. And once we started getting into the investigation realm and and taking on clients and stuff like that, then uh, people were starting to see extreme results very quickly. And at that point, we knew, okay, you know, we've we've got something that's valuable here that's that's absolutely worth sharing. So I think it was a combination of all of them. Our guest tonight is Morgan Knudsen, and her website is entityseeker.ca for Canada.ca, entityseeker.ca. Morgan, do you consider yourself a sensitive or an empath at all? Um, I, don't, I don't think necessarily, like, a, a, I, I wouldn't put a label on it, but what I've found is that, you know, people kind of make the mistake of thinking that, you know, you have to be some sort of special person to be tuned in or be intuitive and, and stuff like that. And I haven't found that really to be the case at all. There's been definitely correlations between certain personality traits um, and people who are more sensitive. And I can definitely say I've had some, some pretty amazing experiences um, through meditation and stuff like that. But I, I don't know if I put a label on myself. I think um, I think that that can be, when it comes to this kind of work a blessing and a curse i think sometimes the best way to do uh, any kind of research when it comes to this is to have a very clear mind and just use your eyes and your ears 
and just pay attention. Um, sometimes sensitives kind of get consumed with other things, emotions, and uh, they can miss things. I've seen it happen before. Um, so I think it can help at times, but can also get in the way at times. Yeah, I've had uh, I've had people ask me before, you know, what's the one piece of advice that you give to an investigator? And I really, every single time, it's know thyself. And I think the more that we understand who we are, how we feel, and understanding that emotional connection between our our state of being, our unhealed stuff, our wounds, and the the reflection that we get back from the world, uh, the more that we can understand how much of 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 that emotional state and that energy that we put out there, how much of it gets reflected back, it really begins to make a statement as to who who we are and how we move forward. So I always say to people, if, if you're going to get into this, know yourself, heal your stuff, get yourself centered, and then move forward from that place of, of curiosity and fun and joy and then you're gonna have a lot better experience well this is probably then um picking up on that very point and i think you 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 may have answered this question that i'm about to ask but if if you did then if you could just go a little more deeply into the answer i'd appreciate it but uh you you are quoted as saying something i kind of paraphrase it here but managing who you are on the inside directly impacts what you experience on the outside that's kind of what you just said but how does it apply to the paranormal yeah, it's it, once once Stephanie and I realized that there was uh, a correlation with with how people are moving through the world. You know, we all have a, a we all have a way of being in the world, and with some people, it can be a lot of unhealed stuff. We can we can we drag we tend to drag our traumas from one incident to another incident. And what's what's been fascinating for me is that is, is to look at the correlation between people's emotional states, where they are on that emotional spectrum. So if you, I always use the example of a radio dial. If you think of, you know, the worst of the worst being at the one end, like depression and grief and things like that, all the way up to frustration, and then maybe hope and joy and passion right on the far end. And what, I, what we began to notice was that the people who are on that negative end of the spectrum, just generally, I mean, everybody has a bad day, but I mean people that are kind of that, they kind of dragged their stuff from one incident to the next. And those people were the ones that were seemed to be resonating, almost like a radio station, with the negative phenomenon that was going on. Every single one of them had some sort of, something was going on within them that was, was either attracting or creating, or both, uh, the phenomenon that was going on in the house. And then you had on the other end of the spectrum... The people who were dealing with the amazingly cool stuff, the, you know, visits from relatives and, uh, you know, the, the, the encounters that were just really great to, to experience, they were kind of bipping along pretty well in life. You know, they weren't, they, you know, they were a little bit more easygoing. They were having fun with their life. They found their passions. They were, they, they had a completely different way of being in the world. And when we began to identify that correlation, it ended up becoming our program, Teaching the Living. And we realize that it's really not about the entity that you're dealing with. It's really about the people. And unless they shift, the phenomenon doesn't shift at all. And that's why you end up getting these people that are going from moving from house to house to house to house. And they're complaining that it's like, oh, my whole life has been cursed with, with you know, negative haunting after negative haunting. But the common denominator is them. 
And once we began to realize that once they shifted, the activity would shift, that became our focus. So let's assume for a second that a person has um, this negative outlook, this negative energy within themselves, that well, kind of the person that you just kind of described that might move from house to house because of experiencing negative hauntings in each one of these places. And you're saying that these hauntings, are, they're the source of the problem, not, you know, not necessarily uh, the house itself. Let's, let's say that's true for a second. So does that mean that entities that might be presented as negative entities will draw on negative energy from people and manifest, whereas positive entities will draw on positive energy from positive people and manifest? Or does it mean that a person with negative energy is actually projecting that negative energy and we're mistaking it for a haunting? Well, that's happened. Um, there's been a number of studies uh, that have been done over the years, uh, one particularly through the Monroe Institute, where they've, where they did some research and ended up discovering the fact that yes, like this, a lot of these these uh, these negative hauntings and things like that are thought forms um, that people can end up running into. So that w- that was one study that was that was done. But if you think of your, yourself almost like a just literally like a, a radio frequency and if you're walking through life with that that sort of negative state that's going on, you tend to end up attracting those things that are resonating within that radio station. If if you're turning around and and looking to you know tune in to 8:30 a.m. but you're on 97.5 FM, you're not going to get what's on that other radio station. It just won't happen. You're going to resonate with whatever that is, so or wherever you are. So with this idea, um, basically what we have to do is start to look at and examine other pieces and parts of, of that person's life experience. And usually the dynamics that's going on within that person and the haunting are often reflected elsewhere in their, in their life experience. You know, if you've got somebody, for example, who's, you know, attracting uh, negative entities and things like that, oftentimes you'll, it, it doesn't take very long to look at their, their friend group, for instance, and find people that are kind of resonating within that same vibrational state. So it's, it's not a huge leap um, to, to start to spot it in other people's experience. I had one case where um, I had a woman who was being, being just attacked by something in her, in her home, and uh, her husband and her, her young son were, were having to deal with it as well. And what was interesting was that within a very short look back into her, her, her past, she had just removed herself from a very physically abusive relationship and what was interesting was that even though she tried to stuff it under the rug, that, you know, oh, no, I was okay, that's fine, she clearly had significant trauma from it, she now was having it reflected back into yet another relationship, but now it was the relationship was non-physical. So once she started to be able to heal that up, then that activity started to change for her. But she had to deal with her own stuff first. She had to get off the frequency. That's pretty uh, fascinating. Plus, it's pretty convincing that that uh, you're onto something very serious here. Now, if that's the case, when you are uh, asked to help somebody who's experiencing some type of phenomena, regardless of what it is, is your first uh, effort in trying to assess the person themselves to see what kind of energy they might be harboring? Yeah. Well, one of the we we kind of do it in stages. Um, First thing we usually do is is sit down with with the person themselves, and it's a, it's a quite an extensive interview, um, right down to you know, are you on any medication, psychiatric medication, anything like that? I work with some some 
brilliant people, um, some of the best in their field in terms of nursing and um, psychology and uh, audio video and all sorts of things. So we're looking at two different things. We're, we're trying to assess the person, what's going on in their life, what have they been experiencing, taking a look at the activity, trying to, to validate the activity that's going on um, and decide whether or not it's paranormal at all because most of the time it's not. Um, but once you, once you can start to, to identify what that direction is going to be, um, the next step is to take a really hard look at the person. And it usually doesn't take too long to figure out where the connection is. Now, when we talk about negative entities and negative energies, uh, particularly as it relates to this relationship between how a person emits their own emotional energy, whether it's negative or positive, and then a resulting haunting, does that take into account things that we would call negative entities or demonic entities, or is that something completely different? Well, I, you know, I think every every religion and uh, a lot of faith groups have a different name for it, you know, and, and I think a lot of them have tried to, to, to explain a lot of these things in, in various different ways. So, you know, you hear about the demons or jinn or um, wendigo and all of these different different titles for these things, but if you look at the phenomenon, the phenomenon is often the same. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, we don't know what these things are. There's no you know, litmus test for this. There's no ghost meter, as much as we'd like to think there is. So, I mean, we, we don't know what they're made of, um, but we, we can start to take a look at the studies that have been done, um, and as they like these different, these different institutions, um, and, and begin to realize that there's, there's definitely some sort of intelligence is there. Um, I, I started to I started to veer away from the question of what and start to look at the why. Um, and I was starting to look at more at the behavior. What is it that people are doing that are instigating this activity? What are the common points? You know, how are these things being triggered in in their interactions with people? Because I, I don't know if we're going to get the answer to the question of what. I think that if we, when the day we do, we can all retire and um, go off to some tropical island and drink uh, uh, drinks with little umbrellas in them for the rest of our lives, right? I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, uh, you've you been doing this for, for quite some time, and uh, do you often go on uh, what we would call paranormal investigations, or is your work more focused on working with people? Um, I, well, I, we've done done a fair amount of investigations uh, over, the, over the years. Um, my, my favorite thing to do is teach. Um, I, I absolutely love it. Um, the not, not being able to do live shows over the last number of months here has been rough. Uh, I, I love to be able to get into the classroom. I, I teach in the um, a lot of the uh, social work and psychology programs here in Alberta um, and uh, uh, teach this program, actually. To, to a lot of them, the aborig- especially the Aboriginal social workers, uh, who are very spiritual and run into this kind of thing uh, somewhat frequently. So I, I do a lot of that. I do a lot of the, as I say, teaching at, at these the live conventions and stuff like that. And I just, I love being able to interact with with peers and, and new faces and, and whatnot and see the aha moments in, in people's faces. But I love the investigation side of it as well. And I've, I've been so fortunate to see some pretty incredible stuff over the years yeah and what do you say to somebody who comes up to you knows what you do and says you know that's just crazy talk there's no such thing never happens what, what do you say to someone like that 
what, what I find the most interesting about those people is that oftentimes it's one of two things. It's either they don't have enough information um, or they've had information from the wrong sources. They're not looking at the, the you know, the universities like Edinburgh and Oxford and uh, Northampton, all of these, these major universities, Princeton and Yale, um, that are doing a lot of the parapsychology work. They, they have no idea about it. Or they are extremely fearful. And so I'm, I'm always really careful about how I, I talk to people like, like that because sometimes it's just the fact that they are struggling with getting their head around the idea that there's a world around them that they can't perceive. And so some of the, sometimes they're very fragile when you speak with them. I need to get some clarification on something because we have a number of people in our chat room that are asking questions related to what we've just been talking about in, in the, uh, with the idea that um, much of the activity that uh, happens uh, to people can be explained by the emotional uh, energy that they have within themselves. Again, are you saying that you think that the activity is being mistaken for a haunting and it's actually just a projection of the energy they have? Or are you saying that a spirit of some kind is drawing that energy and, and reacting accordingly, accordingly, whether it's positive or negative? can be both. It absolutely can be both. Um, there's multiple incidents that have been recorded over the years of, of what they call psychokinesis or, or PK, uh, where people are absolutely projecting into their, into their reality. However, you've got the other side of things where it's blatant that there is an intelligent energy, an intelligent entity that is, that is in the space that is responding to questions. Um, so there, it can be both. A great example of, uh, of, of how this can sometimes work. And this is not always the case because I've had some incredible encounters. Like my dad passed away in 2006. Um, I've had some incredible experiences with him. Um, and uh, Stephanie, she passed away um, earlier than a couple years prior to that. Um, so I've had some really amazing experiences with her. So in my opinion, I, I think there is absolutely life beyond this. I, I think that's undeniable, but um you can have another side to this. And probably one of the best uh, studies that has been done was in Canada. It was in Toronto with a few members of Mensa, um, as well as the Canadian Society for Psychical Research. And what they did was they created something called the Philip Experiment. And the Philip Experiment was a group of people. They decided to recreate the old seances from the Victorian era. And what ended up happening was instead of trying to, trying to bring an entity in from somewhere else. What they did was they actually made up a story. They made up a person because they wanted to see if a consciousness could manifest from an idea. And it was a really unique experiment. And it, it dwelled down to the, the, uh, the fundamental idea of whether consciousness is emergent or fundamental, which is the old heart problem by David Chalmers. But the the idea that this was something that was fundamental, that a consciousness could be formed from an idea, they built this character by the name of Philip, created him from the ground up, created a backstory, and worked it and worked it and worked it until they believed in him enough. So when they sat down, they, they did this for about a year, couldn't get it to work. And then when they realized that one of the things that the old Victorian seances were were, were really good at implementing was having fun. 
And when they started to have fun with it, and they started to take the stoicness out of the experiment, um, and they began to sit down and, and you know, just have fun and, and chat with Philip, lo and behold, they started to get actual activity in the space that was directly responding to their questions. Um, they repeated this again in uh, with another group of people with a character by the name of Lilith that they built up from the ground up again, and they managed to repeat the same thing. And this entity, this brand new consciousness was interacting, it was talking, it was moving furniture, um, it would respond to questions, it was incredible. Um, so, you know, this, both sides of the coin, I think, are right. Let's talk about the ghost spirit side of this conversation exclusively for a couple minutes here. Um, you, you said that uh, you believe there is something after this life, therefore that would uh, support the idea that ghostly activity or spirit activity um, is something that comes from us after death. Uh, but what exactly do you think we're talking about when we say the word ghost? What are we talking about? You know, everybody's got a different version of what that word means. So depending on who you ask, it tends to be a little bit different. For me, I think that our consciousness, getting back to the fundamental emergent question, I think our, I think consciousness is, is something that's fundamental. I don't think it's generated by the brain. I think our brain translates it. And I think when that brain is, you know, it turned off or you know, or damaged or something like that, I think that consciousness survives. I don't think it's, I don't think it's emergent from the brain itself. So um, I, I think that when we're, when we're dealing with these, these spirits um, that, you know, want to interact, they, they've got a, a desire for it and they, they seem to get extremely excited about it. Um, you know, I think we're dealing with, with a greater consciousness and uh, it's phenomenal. I want to uh, go back to that uh, discussion we had about what do you say to somebody who says they don't believe in this. Uh, I always find it very comical because I've had my share of folks come up to me and say that as well. And often, and I just get a kick out of this, often I'll get, it'll start something like this. You know, I don't believe in any of that stuff. That's all a bunch of junk. However, when I was 10 years old, my grandfather, mm -hmm. appeared, you know, they always have a story. <laughs> And I'm thinking to myself, you know, every time, you know, it's funny. I think you're just, this is not that you don't believe. This is just that you're in denial. That's where we are right now. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And, and you know, it's, it's what's funny, too, and I've noticed the same thing in a lot of my classes where, um, you know, you'll have that person immediately, they come up and they have to tell you that they don't believe in it. Like, yeah. they have to announce it. Right. And then, <laughs> and then by the end of it, they're the ones going, yeah, and then this happened. Yep. And then this happened. And, <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's quite funny. It's so it's so common for that to be the case. Um, another question that came from my chat room here is uh, they want to know about ghosts and their awareness of their surroundings. If you meet a ghost, for example, you're in a, in a home that has a haunting and this ghost turns out to be a ghost from, I don't know, the 18th century and has 18th century garb on. Um, will that ghost be aware that it is no longer in the 18th century? Maybe that it is in, you know, the year 2020? I found that they're extremely aware. Um, I, I find that there's there's kind of a two different phenomenon that that get confused often. Um, one being a, a phenomenon that sort of nicknamed residual energy, where you've got the environment that's that's replaying an image or a sound or a sight or, or all of the above, um, and that's just literally like a like a needle on a phonograph that's just replaying itself based on the geomagnetics in the environment or whatever, um, but when you've got when we've got something that is 
is intelligent and is interacting in real time, I find them incredibly aware and incredibly insightful, um, usually smarter than the people in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that doesn't take much. Um, I'm, it's I'm just true. kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's <laughs> true. Um, have you ever had an experience or researched something and gotten an answer that made you second guess doing this kind of work? In other words, either scared you to the point where, wow, I'm messing with something here I shouldn't be messing with, or has that never happened to you? Um, I don't think there's ever been a situation where I've, I've, regretted going into something I've, I've i'm usually extremely careful about that um when we started to really delve into some of the uh the the first nations paranormal uh incidents um that have happened over over the the centuries um there's been I, i've always been very careful to be uh extremely respectful and and to be aware that there's there's stuff that they are are familiar with and aware of that I still have yet to learn. Um, so even when I'm, no matter what case really I'm going into, but but specifically when I'm dealing with a, another culture, um, that's where I'm always very, very careful because I always have to remember that no matter where we are in our careers with this stuff, there's always, always, always something that we have not learned yet. And we are dealing with stuff that's non-physical. We can't see it. You know, we there are things that we don't understand about it. And I think as long as we go into it with, with that level of respect and awareness and don't get cocky about it, um, you know, I, I think we'll be okay. Why is this work important, Morgan? What, what do you think uh, this does for people as we get these answers? Oh, gosh, you know, I, I think it, it does so much cause, because not only, does it, not only does it start to alleviate the fear of death, that so many people really, really have, but it brings a brand new level of awareness to not only ourselves, but to what we don't know. And we're living right now in an era where people are so fearful. There's so much going on that is scaring people, even right down to, you know, heck, being just afraid of somebody with a different skin color. And I think if we can understand, especially as investigators right now, that if we start to take the approach to the unknown, no matter what that unknown is, with curiosity rather than fear, it changes how we interact with our world. And so I think right now people that are, are involved with the paranormal and whatnot, we, have, uh, uh, we almost have a standing duty to be able to present an interest in the unknown in a way that is is factual is a way that is um, uh, comes at it from uh, a place of of interest um, rather than seeing everything as an unknown as a possible terrifying thing. So I think this work right now is is extremely important, and it's extremely important for people to to be able to look into the world that they live in right now and and know and have faith in who they are and what is coming next. And when we can understand that, we understand that we are, you know, we, we do have a say in creating our reality. Um, it's, it, it really is everything, especially at this time. Tonight we're talking with Morgan Knudsen about her work as a paranormal researcher and a spiritual teacher. She's also founder of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teaching, author 
of the book Teaching the Living from Heartbreak to Happiness in a Haunted Home. But I have to ask you this, Morgan, uh, taking a look at your website earlier, which, by the way, is EntitySeeker.ca, I noticed you uh, playing with fire. What's going on with the fire, Morgan? (laughs) Yeah, it is absolutely one of my passions. I love it. And uh, I've been uh, been a fire performer now for about... I guess, oh gosh, it's been about five years or so, and um, I've 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 had the pleasure to really be able to learn from it, and uh, I use fire in a lot of my lectures and my shows because there is an element to to what I do that is very much representative of how we break down paradigms within the paranormal. So when I when I'm able to eat fire because I eat fire, I breathe fire, everything, and um, when I'm when I'm working with fire, when I can start to break down people's paradigms about what it is, what that is, what that what that can look like, I don't use gloves. I don't put anything on my hands. I just use pure science and pure intuition with it. And when I can break down people's paradigms about something that is such a core gut level reaction then I can also start to break people's paradigms down about the paranormal as well. So oftentimes I will start a lecture or something like that with a fire demonstration and uh, a, a challenge to, to people saying, you know, if I can break break down your paradigm about fire, then you've got to listen to me through the rest of it. Wow. <laughs> so, and usually I'm successful. So Yeah, I, you know, I, I had somebody on the show, uh, actually, I think she was a returning guest. She was on a couple of times who used fire walking, you know, walking over hot coals or whatever it happens yeah. to be in as part of her paranormal work too. So I find that interesting. I, it's, um, I, and I understand that I understand how that, how the concept and how it works. Um, it's just not something I ever would have thought of if it wasn't presented to me by her. And now you, it's, it's a great, it's a great tool because fire in and of itself is such a, it brings such a raw emotion out of us. Um, you know, it's so primal and it's something that people often think of as very chaotic. And yet it's something that is very cleansing. It's very healing. And uh, it, it's so meditative. Uh, there's a there's a, a stillness about fire, like throughout the moat. It's got lots of motion. Um, you know, it's constantly moving. But at the end of the day, there's this there's this peace and this stillness with it. And I think I think when we could tap into that, um, and then we can start to understand that yeah, fire's hot. Fire can be destructive. Fire can burn. But there's also this gray area. <laughs> with fire, which mm-hmm. I kind of operate in, um, and when you can see that there's this gray area with something we've been drilled into as as kids that, you know, it is destructive, that's it, it's too hot, don't touch it, well, there is a gray area, and, you know, you, you can you can manipulate it, you, it is malleable, and when we can understand that that paradigm, even though it has some truth to it, is kind of wrong... Um, then we can start to to break down other people's beliefs as well, including you know ghosts don't exist, this can't happen. There's no such thing as the paranormal. Another question from our chat room: um, They want to know if you've ever had an attachment or some type of spiritual hitchhiker follow you home, and if you have, what did you do about it? I never have, um, and uh, you know once once you can start to really understand um, this again this this concept of you know, where you are on that radio dial really does determine 
uh, you know, what activity or what type of activity that you're, you're going to be attracting, you really can start to, to control your environment a little bit better. Um, so mainly what I do if I'm, if I'm experiencing a, uh, or going into a, a haunted place or something like that, um, right beforehand, I usually do what they call writing a rampage of appreciation. So I basically write a paragraph on something that makes me really happy or really excited, um, something that gets me into a really good headspace, um, so that when I go in there, then my 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 frequency on that radio dial is is pretty high. So I've never had a problem that way. Um, now that being said, I have lived with some some pretty crazy stuff. Um, I went through a period of my life back when I was uh, in my early 20s where I'd been homeless, and I was in a really terrible emotional state and whatnot, and I ended up moving in and living with uh, an entity in, a, in an apartment that was, it was just, it was crazy. Um, mm. It was it was malicious, it was nasty, and it was it was not fun. So, Another question from the chat room. Um, we often refer to it as the veil, this this somewhat of a barrier yeah. barrier between our world and the spirit world. Is there really such a barrier, and can we explain what it might be? I don't. I don't think there is a barrier. I think. I think our barrier is is rooted in our own perception. Um, I think the. Uh, I think. I think our our brains are meant to uh, to perceive our reality in a way that we can handle it. Um, the best ex- explanation or, or example that I I've had about this was actually from a. Uh, uh, the one of the chief neurologists in uh, the Toronto University, his name's Dr. Morris Friedman, and he was doing this r- really interesting research about uh, people who had Alzheimer's or brain damage and their level of perception of paranormal experiences. And what he discovered, and it, the paper is available, if anybody wants to read about this, it's available online. Um, basically what he discovered is that the brain is almost like a, a, a filter, and or like a camera with filters in it, and the reason why we can take a picture and get a get a, a clear picture of our world is because our cameras have different filters, like UV filters and things like that, so that we can block out all the frequencies that we don't want in order to get the picture that we get. But if you start taking those filters out, you end up getting this really weird looking picture. They kind of come out pink and really bright and overexposed. And what he discovered was that a lot of people that were having, that either had brain injuries or had Alzheimer's or whatnot, were reporting a higher level of, of, of paranormal activity. And what he began to realize was that sometimes that brain damage was breaking those filters in the brain. And so it, it was really interesting. And kids, they tend to experience more the terminally ill tend to experience more, um, and they began to realize that it, it has to do with with almost these, these perceptive filters in the brain. So I don't think the fil- I don't think the veil is necessarily something that's a, a physical thing, but I think it's got something to do with with uh, how we're perceiving things. You've done a lot of television work. You mentioned a little bit of it uh, earlier in our discussion. Talk to us a little bit about some of the shows you've been involved with. What you like about it? Maybe what you don't like about it. Yeah, I've I've been so lucky. I've I've worked with some really amazing people. Um, I, I started off very early on. I've I've done TV shows for about twenty years, and uh, the the first major show I did was a haunting on uh, Discovery Channel, um, and the team was absolutely fantastic. Just New Dominion Pictures, they did a brilliant job. Um, and currently, I'm doing uh, working with uh, Bristol Global Media. 
um, doing haunted hospitals and paranormal 911. And those shows have really been life-changing for me in a lot of ways because they have been trying to give a voice to the physicians and first responders and nurses who normally cannot tell their story for fear of ridicule or for fear of losing their job. And they basically give people like myself and my co-host Richard Estep and uh, Christopher Brewer, and we get to weigh in on what these people have experienced and try to just put our, our best take on what, that, what could have possibly happened to them. So I've learned so much from all of the, all of the, the cases that I've, I've been lucky enough to handle. And uh, I, just, I feel very privileged that I've, I've been chosen to help tell their story. Morgan, have you ever been involved or uh, had a report that you've uh, investigated and verified of somebody who has actually experienced uh, any significant harm from a haunting or some type of spirit activity? Yeah, um, probably. Actually, the, the case that I was mentioning a little uh, a little bit earlier um, with the, the woman that had been in the abusive uh, relationship and then had gotten out of it, um, that probably was one of the most violent cases that uh, that I had dealt with. She um, uh, had gotten into a new relationship with a new guy who was who was great, um, and they'd had a had a son who was young at the time; he was about two, and. Uh, that case was was pretty nasty. She had gotten kicked, punched, bitten, um, scratched the works, and the entity uh, would often turn on the son because, of course, kids learn from their parents and tend to mimic the emotional states of their parents. So he ended up to be a, a target as well, and uh, they, it got bad enough that the family ended up living in their van, and they they would not go in the house anymore. It was it was awful. Well, um, another question for our, from our chat room. Um, obviously, uh, one night a year is particularly uh, associated with ghosts and other things that are scary, and that would be Halloween. And, and I'm not entirely convinced that Halloween has any special spiritual properties to it, other than the fact that a lot of people are thinking about it. Kids are thinking about it. Adults are thinking about it. You know, kids go as far as dressing up like ghosts and things like that. Is there any idea that you um, subscribe to that Halloween has some special spiritual properties that might relate to hauntings of the ghost world? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm kind of on the, the, the same page as you. I don't think it necessarily, the date itself, has any, any sort of uh, special significance. Um, but I think what the meaning that we assign to things definitely gives things significance. And we can see, uh, for example, uh, escalations in um, psychiatric facilities and things like that where, where things go crazy on, on Halloween night. And um, I actually had a case on haunted hospitals. Uh, this was, I think it was last season, um, where that was exactly what had happened was that everybody went a little Looney Tune when they were, uh, you know, when, when Halloween showed up because it, it, it would held such a stigma uh, for so many people. And, and it caused a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. 
uh, and, and things like that. So, I mean, I, I don't think it necessarily has to do with the date, um, but, you know, as soon as people start to, again, perception is reality, they assign meaning to something, and if you believe it, you can manifest it. So I, I think that it's more tied in with something like that. We're going through a particularly uh, unusual time. I would say it's um, maybe something the world hasn't seen for about 100 years, and I'm talking about uh, you know the 1917, 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. Uh, we're talking. We're dealing with the COVID nineteen pandemic here. Has that affected the paranormal from your perspective and the work you do? And has it in any way impacted the spirit world itself? Well, there's there's been a noted increase in uh, in in paranormal activity, mainly because people are home. Um, so the the pandemic has been very interesting because it has caused people who have been ignoring maybe a haunting in their home or just ignoring their emotional stuff by, you know, going to work and shoving it under the rug um, and, and things like that. It has caused people to have to be at home and be still. And oftentimes that's when people start to notice stuff going on in their in their house. Um, and of course, when you've got a pandemic or anything like that, you start to get a heightened fear state uh, with people. So people are, you know, experiencing oftentimes more of the negative side of things because um, their, their, their state of being starts to, to change. Um, so I, I think that has definitely made an impact. Um, but I also think that you know, how we go forward and deal with cases um, is, has to change. Um, you know, it's not just a matter of, you know, going into somebody's house anymore. Um, there, I think there's going to be a, a change in the rule book, um, it, you know, just as a whole as to how, how we move forward with stuff. But I think also the type of calls that we get um, mental health-wise is also going to shift. So I think that's something that investigators have got to be really careful of because, um, you know, there's the, the pandemic has brought out a lot of mental health crisis and and things like that. And I, I, so I think this is it's going to make a, a big shift in our in our world. Your book, Teaching the Living from Heartbreak to Happiness in a Haunted Home, obviously mirrors uh, your your uh, Teaching the Living uh, course or, or program. Um, are they are they companions to one another? Do they stand alone? And how can people take advantage of both? Yeah, you know the, the I mean the the program is is kind of outlined in the book. The book is is was meant to be a uh, a standalone thing that anybody could pick up and no matter what education level you're at and and get into it and start to understand uh, you know, some of the dynamics that we've talked about tonight um, and. The, the one thing that I, I started to do uh, when, the, when the lockdown happened originally in March, um, I started to do a live stream uh, called Spiritual Healthcare, and now I'm doing it every Wednesday. But I started to just impart the program of, of teaching the living onto, onto the, the general public, the stuff that I was normally just doing with clients. Um, I realized would really serve a lot of people if they, if they got to understand the program and could start to do some of the stuff at home and use the tools, not just for paranormal stuff, but, but for their, their lives as we experience something that, no, we can't see, we can't, you know, actively, you know, hit or punch or, you know, lock our door, and, which is very similar to how people feel when they're, they've got a, a negative haunting. Um, you know, it's, it's a very out of control feeling. And I realized that a lot of the, 
the program of teaching the living very much is applicable to to what a lot of people are experiencing now. And so we st- I started just doing this this free live stream for people, and it's it's been really really good. Where do people find that? So people can find that on the website entityseeker.ca in the the media video section. All of the all of the classes are there. I think there's 116 of them now, um, and they're also on um, YouTube at youtube.com/entityseeker as well. So they're they're all listed, and there's some fire videos in there as well. Um, one of the things that people uh, almost have a universal fear of, some people have conquered it, but most people still harbor it in some fashion, is the fear of death. Is death something to be feared of in your uh, estimation? And what do we what should we know about death? From you know, I mean, I've death doesn't get easy for the living because the living we we really are the ones with the unfinished business. We we like to think it's the spirits, and it's really not. And I think it's it's something that that we of course are always going to have questions about. We we don't know for a hundred percent certainty. But what I do know is that the spirits and the the intelligences that I've been had the privilege of interacting with have been so reassuring and so joyful and the people and the loved ones that have come back over and over again to you know clients and individuals that I've talked to that have been so affirming that no this is this is not the end and one of the best ex- uh, the best examples that I I've ever been given was uh, somebody who had an interaction, I think it was with, with a grandparent or something like that, um, and they had said, death is like step, somebody stepping into the next room. They're just in the next room. And I thought that was one of the most powerful things I'd ever heard. And so I, I firmly believe that throughout the 20 years that I've been doing this, that there is, this is, this is not the end. And I think, I think death is a transition process that is not the heavy, horrible experience that, that we're you know, often led to believe. So picking up on that then, um, people or spirits that we call ghosts that may be haunting or that are appearing and manifesting for uh, whatever reason they choose to, are they stuck here in some fashion? Why do they remain? Yeah, and, and that's, I think, probably one of the biggest misnomers is the fact that, you know, and, and that, that concept comes from a long history of uh, of cultures that have, uh, you know, been been very fearful of death, um, fearful of dead bodies because I mean, dead bodies are, are are dangerous. They're gross, and they've got a lot of diseases and things like that. So the fear of of the dead coming back um, and and getting stuck and whatnot was a, a, it was kind of a big problem back in the the medieval the medieval times when mm-hmm. the dead body was not disposed of properly. Um, and then, of course, you've got a lot of religions that then began charging people money for the idea of, you know, we have to cross over your loved one, please pay us X number of dollars. And and that became a bit of a problem as well. So, but in, in reality, when we look at research that's been done by the Winbridge Institute, um, you know, these lots of, many of these universities like Yale, they've got their COPE program going on right now. Um, that That's just not the case at all. And even though it makes for great television, it, doesn't actually it doesn't seem to be founded in any sort of research. What's your advice to somebody who might be experiencing some paranormal activity to the point where it's bothersome or troublesome to them? I think the first thing I always tell people is is to take a look at to take a look if, if it's if it's something that you feel is, is intelligent 
um, is to take a look at the type of activity that you're experiencing and the feeling that it gives you. And then take a look at what else you've got going on in your life experience that is giving you that same feeling. Because when you can identify what that feeling is, you can start to identify where some of the root cause of, of, of that attraction point is within, within yourself. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things. Um, if you're looking for a group or a team or something like that to come in, the, the biggest thing that I always tell people is read their damn resume. Um, you know, you want people who aren't there because they're a bunch of friends. You want people who have brought in individuals that serve a purpose on the team. They are electricians or they are uh, architects or they are um, psychologists or something like that that they're bringing to the table. Um, be careful who you're letting into your home and um, don't be afraid to ask the, the really hard questions. Your website is entityseeker.ca, CA, of course, for Canada. Um, the book is called Teaching the Living from Heartbreak to Happiness in a Haunted House. Uh, I'm assuming that people can get information about the book on the website, plus the program on the website. Is that correct? It is all there, um, and the book can also be found on Amazon.com. Uh, so it's it's there as well, but it, ngseeker.ca is sort of the one-stop shop for everything. Morgan, I love your perspective on all of this, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. I look forward to having you back at some time. I would love that. Thank you very much for having me. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.